Alright, very warm welcome back to everyone, to my long-time listeners on Podbean, to my uh, subscribers on the site, to all my readers. This is a special Domain Query episode. So this is Domain Query, Truth and Reconciliation. Uh, and it is in response to a very interesting question that I received from uh, a reader named Sean. He's a new reader. And he came along and uh, sent me an email uh, and if, by the way, if you have similar emails to send, just click on the link in the description box for the podcast or uh, on the site, and you'll be able to send an email to me directly. I'll get it and we'll try to respond. Uh, so Sean asks, uh, Hi, Didact. I am a new reader on your blog. I'm interested in your views on Christianity, religion, faith, and atheism, as I'm currently mired in sorting those things out for myself. It seems from old posts uh, circa 2013, You had at least rejected atheism, recognized higher power, and held to a certain faith. In more recent posts, it seems your faith has evolved over the years. I'd be interested to hear you describe how your thinking has changed over the years, or what it is now. Maybe you could point me to particular posts that lay out your thoughts? Uh, Well, I'm more than happy to do so, Sean, and uh, may I say I'm absolutely delighted that you have uh, taken that step to reach out and ask about the nature of faith and the nature of Christianity. Um, in many ways, you are in the same position that I was in, ooh, back in, I would say, 2009, actually. Um, there are, there, I would say there are several stages that were essential to my transformation uh, over, you know, my evolution, as it were, from an atheist into a Christian. And to be very clear, I am a Christian. I accept Jesus Christ as Lord, King, and Savior. And that didn't happen easily. It took a very, very long time. Uh, it took actually the better part of 20 years. Um, yeah, actually more than 20 years to happen. So, uh, drinking a cup of tea there. Um, so what happened essentially was that I started out as an atheist. I mean, I... I grew up in a completely irreligious family, not not like atheist family, but just not religious at all. And by the time I was 13, I basically rejected religion in all its forms uh, and became very, very hostile to it. I just thought that it was full of lies and superstition, um, particularly because my family comes from a kind of a more, well, a polytheistic background. Um, I will go so far as to call my uh, my family's faith a pagan faith. They would be very, they are very offended by the use of that term, but it applies. Um, if you're going to worship however many thousands or millions of gods it is, nobody really knows the accurate number. But uh, if you're going to do that, and you're going to do so using animistic rituals and uh, sacrifices, then it is a pagan faith, whether you like it or not. So that's just the truth of it. Um, at that time, I rejected that completely because I just it, it annoyed me so much. I mean, it, the, the, the ritual of going to the temple once a year was just something I hated. And I just thought it was so stupid and, and like pointless. So I rejected religion and faith on the grounds of that it, of it was inconvenient and uncomfortable. That's really, it was a very childish reaction. And um, looking back, that's that's exactly what I think of it. It was very childish. So 
I went through life kind of very strongly an atheist um, for a long time, particularly through my teen years. And that sort of started mellowing once I hit my 20s. Um, I, I was never, or I was not really anti-Christian except for during my late teens when I was like really anti-Christian because I thought that Christianity led to stupidity, superstition, blindness, and intolerance. And um, I more or less embraced blind materialism. I thought that uh, science had all the answers and that there was no need for God to explain how the universe came to be. And I'll get back to that in a moment because it's, it's important to how this whole um, atheistic worldview evolves and doesn't really hang together very well. So I'll come back to that shortly. Uh, I remember in, in one particularly uh, shameful incident, actually, um, a young girl, she was like a year younger than me at the time, uh, was posting up like um, status updates in her, like her, her MSN messenger status. She would change it to quotes about how much she loved God and quotes from the Bible and things like that. And I, I just really reacted to that. I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, how can you possibly become a Christian? Don't you know that's... That's the way to, to blindness and foolishness and, and, and being closed off to, to science. Um, and I, I treated her very, very badly, and she was very offended by my behavior, and as she should have been. And uh, we stopped communicating for about a year. Um, and then I came back out from a year in college, and I'd had to grow up quite a bit. Uh, and you know, we renewed contact, but... Um, you know, she was just, um, to be clear, she was always nothing more than a friend. But uh, over time, and she went to college, she, she and I grew apart, and we just no longer communicated after, um, after some time. We just, like, had no contact with each other. We just you know, went, went our separate ways. Uh, she'll come back into the story later. But that is a, a, a measure of how badly behaved I was towards the believers uh, at the time. And... Complicating things a bit is the fact that I grew up in an Islamic country. I did. I mean, I grew up in a. I grew up in Indonesia. I spent eight years there, and um, I saw Islam at the time as kind of a gentle, tolerant, quiet faith. But then I came to the U.S. and I started reading alternative literature, shall we say, points of view well outside of the mainstream, and I began to understand that much of what I had taught about the world was simply wrong. Um, I began to absorb a lot of right-wing and conservative media. And I started out kind of a squishy centrist, and over time I evolved into much more of a conservative libertarian type. And I, I was a libertarian for a long time, an atheist libertarian, is what I called myself. And... Uh, that evolution away from atheism and away from libertarianism has to do with simply understanding that there were a number of things that neither atheism nor libertarianism could explain about the modern world. The most important of these was the, and is, the existence of evil. I am a Christian because I know that evil exists. It's obvious to anybody looking around. Evil exists. It is real, it is material, and it is deadly. So, if evil exists, how do you cope with it? Now, every religion, every spiritual 
pursuit, every philosophy tries to tries to propose a solution to evil. Almost every single one of them is wrong. Hinduism and Buddhism argue that everything around us is an illusion and that there is no one truth. That's why Hinduism can can maintain so many internal contradictions. Uh, it, it has so many of them, it's actually ridiculous. Um, Hinduism maintains that there is no one objective truth. And again, we'll come back to that in a moment. There are like three or four things I need to go over. Um, I became a Christian through understanding that evil exists. And the path that started me down that road, or the, the event that started me down that road was definitely this email that I wrote to our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord, peace be unto him, Vox Day. I had just read his book, The Irrational Atheist, back in, I think, 2008, 2009, around about that time frame. Right after the financial crisis, you know, completely destroyed any faith that any of us had, certainly that I had, in the neoliberal world order. It became very clear to me that many of the assumptions that we had about the way the world worked were not supportable. So, when your entire base of belief gets wiped out like that, you have to find something new to build upon. And that's when I found Vox Day's writing. I've been reading him for a while, actually. I, I mean, this, he, he'd been blogging for, at that point, about five years, which, you know, just, just tells you how loyal some of his followers are. I've been reading Vox Day since 2009. That's, 12 years out of the 16 or 17 that he's been blogging. That's astonishing. And that's the, the longevity that a man like that inspires, the loyalty that a man like that inspires. So he wrote back, I mean, um, there's, a, there's an email, uh, there's a post from on his website. You can go look it up. It's called An Atheist Reconsiders. Uh, and it's one of several emails that I've sent him over the years. And it's all about the fact that reading The Irrational Atheist was a revelation because I had read The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins a few years earlier. And I remember thinking to myself, The God Delusion really wasn't a very well-argued book. And it wasn't. I mean, it's, it's actually appallingly badly argued. A lot of it is so stupid and so ridiculous. Um, it's amazing to me that anybody actually pays attention to what Dawkins says. So much of it is uh, foolish. Uh, beyond measure. And, uh, I, you know, I can't even begin to go into the number of arguments that he gets wrong. Uh, if you want to know, read Vox Day's book. It's superb. It's a very, very tightly crafted bit of apologetics and actually polemics as well. And that was what made me sit up and think. That's the book that made me sit up and think, hmm, maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe instead of being uh, an advocate of reason, logic, science, and data, maybe I've been the one who's been blind all along. That is what started me down the road of reading about um, Christianity and trying to understand Christianity as a faith. I had already rejected Islam. Um, I knew in 2009 that Islam was a serious problem and had some serious issues with it. But I didn't realize until like, you know, until about the last year or so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking since about 2019, 2020, thereabouts, I didn't realize how false Islam is. I always thought it was a legitimate religion. It's not. It's really, it is not. Um, its origins are so 
corrupted and so transparently man-made that there's no way this could possibly be uh, a religion of any kind. It's actually a corruption of uh, ancient Jewish and Christian texts. That's, that's the reality. I mean, whether you like it or not, that's the reality. But the, the thing that really pushed me closer toward faith uh, was actually um, the death of my grandparents. Uh, my grandmother died in 2011, and um, that was at a time of considerable personal turmoil for me as well, because I'd just lost my second job. And uh, I didn't really have faith at the time, but that that double or triple whammy in the space of like two months, like a month actually, uh, really kind of sat me back on my heels, and I was like, "What the? What do I do now?" My whole world is basically shattered in front of me. And it that was, I think, when I first began to understand and realize that there is something bigger out there. There's a, a higher power that determines something, that, that acts upon our universe. But I was still a hundred miles away from Christianity. I mean, I was you know, nowhere close to that ballpark. Uh, I accepted... So I, I began to realize that I had accepted the presence of God in my life. I had accepted that there is some controlling entity, some deity out there. And from there was a relatively easy step to understanding that God probably did, in fact, intervene in this world a number of times. So I started trying to read the Bible. I bought myself a King James Version of the Bible. And um, I tried reading it. I found it incredibly boring. But I, I stubbornly persisted, and I think I got all the way through the book of Job and into Ecclesiastes before I finally gave up and said, can't do this anymore. Um, and then, in 2015, um, my grandfather died. And that, that was a shaping event for me in, in many ways. Uh, I was forced to wrestle with some very painful ethical conundrums because you know, looking back, I mean, it wasn't really that big a deal. It was just basically take some time off, go celebrate your grand or go, go to your grandfather's funeral. And I, I shouldn't have made such a big fuss about it. I shouldn't have been such a child about it. But at the time it was a real struggle for me because I was like, if I go, I'm going to go for four days. I'm going to you know, destroy myself physically and mentally to get there. Um, I'm going to be there for four days, I'm going to come back, I'm going to be shot, and I'm going to go straight back to work after, you know, 18 hours of traveling in and, and dealing with the heat and the humidity and the, the misery, frankly, of the old country. Uh, but I went through it all because I felt like I owed my granddad something. And the funny thing is my granddad was an atheist, as far as I can tell, all his life. He died a complete non-believer. Uh, but when his youngest son was struggling for his life, I mean, was, his youngest son was dying, actually. This was many, many, many years ago. This is, uh, I, don't really, I don't even know how long ago it was, 65 years ago, something like that. Uh, maybe a bit less. Uh, I think his youngest son was about two years old, struggling for his life with a horrible fever and, you know, dying in front of his eyes. And my granddad, who's atheist all his life, you know, medical doctor, 
well-trained, well-respected, uh, basically went outside and started praying. He said, please, God, don't let my son die. Please, God, don't let my son die. And his son recovered. Uh, he didn't turn out very well, but he recovered. And I, it was it was really hard for me to reconcile atheism with that story and that reality. And it was really, really hard for me to reconcile atheism with how my grandfather went through the last few years of his life. Uh, how was it possible that such a good and decent man could be mistreated so badly? And how was it possible that such a, a man who I thought was so good and decent could have made such a mess of things around him? Um, I'm not going to go into details. It's very personal. Um, but that that family event really accelerated my transition to Christianity. And that's when I began to read more deeply about the Christian faith. And by about 2016-2017, I had essentially turned into a defender of Christianity without actually being a Christian. Because I, I, I realized very quickly that most of what we had been taught about Christianity in school was wrong. It was just utterly and totally wrong. The Crusades were not wars of conquest against innocent um, uh, uh, Muslims in the Middle East. No, they weren't. They were a direct response to 300 years of direct Islamic provocation. The Inquisition, as Vox Day points out, there were actually several Inquisitions. The Spanish Inquisition was a secular Inquisition. It was not a religious one. The religious Inquisition took place in the 13th century against the Albigensians, the, the Cathars. And actually, if you read about the Cathars, and you can read about all this stuff on my site, Go do, you know, just search through the site and you will find all of this information. Um, the, the, the Cathars were a batshit crazy bunch of heretics. You have to actually go read about what they were to understand how insane these people were. Uh, and the Catholic Church tolerated them for a long time until they got to the point where they were such a menace to church power and secular power that they could no longer be tolerated. Uh, the persecution, quote-unquote, of Galileo was nothing of the sort. Galileo was, in fact, protected very heavily by the Catholic Church. I read another book called um, uh, Why Catholics Are Right, or something like that, by Michael Corrin, uh, which, I mean, I'll have all the book references in the description, so you can go read about all this stuff yourself. It's very, very fascinating stuff. Uh, and all of these books helped guide me on my journey, by the way. All of these things helped me understand why atheism doesn't make sense and why Christianity does. And it was a very sterling defense of the Catholic faith, which I liked a lot. Um, I'm not a Catholic. I am a non-denominational Christian. I don't care for the food fights between Catholics and everyone else. I'm not interested. I, will, I don't try to twist or reinterpret scripture for my own benefit. Uh, I am a sinner and a broken one at that. And I just try to do what God wants me to do. I Sometimes maybe I succeed. Um, with respect to how I became a Christian, well, that, that came down to a lot of wisdom and guidance from a lot of people. Um, particularly one of my readers uh, who lives down in uh, Panhandle in Florida. And... Uh, a number of others who have written to me over the years. There's a, a, a commenter named Sean Carnegie who uh, pops in from time to time, doesn't really say much. 
Lieutenant Colonel Tom Crackman, of course, um, and my friend down in, in Florida. But it was my friend down in Florida who really helped me out because when I lost my third job in March 2018, actually it's been three years, um, a little over three years today since I lost my job. I was just, I was a complete mental and emotional wreck. Physically I was fine, but mentally, emotionally I was done. I, I, I just been, again, I'd seen everything I believed in wiped out from under me. Every belief I had in decency, in, in loyalty, in hard work, just gone overnight. It was like, what was the point of listening to my parents when they preached to me about work hard and keep your nose clean and you'll do fine? Like, no, you won't. You won't. You, know, you say the wrong thing, or, which didn't happen, by the way. I didn't say the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing in that I tried to get away from my current job and move internally but I wasn't devious enough about it. And I had a lot of disagreements with my boss at the time. And of course, I did all that at a time when the company itself was going through massive problems and massive uh, financial losses. So, you know, um, as it turns out, at the time, it was a horrifying, terrible event. And in the years since, I've realized that it may well have been a great gift. It just didn't feel like it at the time. It still doesn't. Uh, but that is what led me over time to becoming a Christian. Uh, my, my lady, uh, helped me to get there as well, uh, through some not necessarily very pleasant interactions. Um, again, I won't go into details, but she was instrumental in it. My friends were, my, my Christian friends, my devout Christian friends on the site and you know, this, this one guy down in Florida was essential to helping me make that transition. And, you know, it just came to a point where about two years ago, January 2018, I think it was about January 7th, 2018, um, or 2019, excuse me, 2019, uh, I just, I bowed my head one night and I said, Jesus Christ, I accept you as my, my Lord and Savior. Um, I am... I accept that you are the Son of God and that you came to this earth, you died for my sins, and you rose again. And, um, you know, that's how it happened. That's, and ever since then, I've just been trying to immerse myself more and more deeply in Scripture and faith. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that in the year, the year or so leading up to my leaving the U.S., I had started attending... Catholic Church. I, there's a. I used to work directly on Wall Street, literally on Wall Street, and behind, did immediately behind the building, uh, on Pine Street, there is a um, there is a Catholic Church, Our Lady of Victory Church on Pine Street, and it's a beautiful, beautiful church. And I would go there and and you know five o'clock every Friday. I just that's it. Bye. I'm out. I would go to church. And I would pray. Uh, and that helped tremendously, particularly when I celebrated uh, Good Friday at that church, you know, after I lost my job. It was just, I was, a, again, emotionally just a wreck, but that, that helped immensely. Um, so that is how I got to where I am today. As for these questions that Sean himself is wrestling with it, that he's, he's trying to sort out. Um, what 
why did I reject atheism? Well, because, to put it very bluntly, you need more faith to be an atheist than you do to be a Christian. And that's just the basic truth. I am a mathematician by training. I have two degrees in mathematics. Um, I try not to be inordinately proud of that, but it's a fact. I do have two degrees in maths. Um, and as such, I understand something about probability and statistics. Now, when you look at the universe around us, and you look at all of the scientific evidence that we have, which is an enormous overabundance of it, in fact, at this point, and you trace back the scientific evidence to the beginning, the Big Bang, for which the evidence right now, by now, is essentially indisputable. You have a very definite beginning. You have a great expansion. You have a number of scientifically tested events that took place in which matter, light, energy, the laws of physics all came into being. You have a series of constants that, well, they're not really, not really, really, really constant. I mean, the speed of light has changed over time. Uh, the Newton's gravitational constant has changed over time. So they're quasi-constants, quasi-very, I don't know, I mean, I don't know what you call them, but that's what they are. Okay. You have a universe that is nonetheless very obviously finely tuned for life. Because if any of these constants were significantly off, like Planck's constant, if it was off by even so much as 1%, the universe as we know it would not exist. If the gravitational constant was off by a significant degree, either the galaxies would just fly apart into nothingness, or all matter would collapse back in on itself, uh, and there would be no expansion possible. The universe would never have formed. Then you look, I mean, the, the speed of light, if it was significantly different, would have completely altered the nature of the universe. Life would not have been possible. There are so many different things about the universe that are very obviously finely tuned. Then you look at Earth itself. You look at where we are in the, in the solar system. We're perfectly placed exactly where we need to be for life to occur. We are perfectly placed in the, the Milky Way galaxy for life to occur. We are perfectly placed uh, on our planet for life to occur with the exact right conditions. And where are these things predicted? In chapter 1 of Genesis. There are 26 separate scientifically testable events in Genesis that all occur in exactly the right order, in exactly the right place. That cannot be coincidental. More to the point, if you take a blind materialist approach to the origins of the universe, how do you explain that all of this just happened? Stephen Hawking's explanation before he died was essentially that gravity came into being because it needed to. What kind of an explanation is that from, you know, one of the world's greatest ever physicists? It's nonsense. It's logically, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's circular logic. Any, uh, first year undergraduate, hell, any high school student in logic and debate could figure that out. It's a circular argument. The materialists are so desperate to avoid mention of God or a creator of any kind that they ignore the sheer impossibility of all of these things happening in the right order, in the right time, in the right way. They ignore the impossibility, the probabilistic impossibility of all of these things. I mean, 
If you tried to compute the probabilities of this universe occurring at random, you wouldn't be able to because the number would be essentially zero. It's not possible for this to occur randomly. Here's another one. I mean, the, the blind materialists, the Darwinists, the blind watchmaker types like Dawkins essentially say that life as we know it evolved into all of its complexity through sheer natural chance. Go watch Dr. James Tour's lecture on, um, on the, the Discovery Science Institute or whatever it's called uh, about abiogenesis. This is this concept that life began from nothing. Uh, the standard view of, um, of evolution is that or the, the, the standard model among uh, materialists is that there was this sort of pre-biotic uh, soup of chemicals, of amino acids, lipids, excuse me, and uh, various other bits and pieces that, that needed to be there. There are four specific chemical classes, proteins, lipids, amino acids, and something else, uh, which Dr. James Tour talks about. James Tour is a synthetic organic chemist, by the way. He is not a biologist. He doesn't pretend to be a biologist. Being a synthetic organic chemist allows him to draw inferences and understanding about how these molecules hook together and how you can take um, a random sample of junk and create stuff from it. Go watch that video lecture. It's brilliant, where he breaks it all down and just destroys the entire idea. The problem with abiogenesis is that the probability of any of that happening, the way the, the, the materialists argue it does, is ridiculously tiny. I mean, to the point where it might as well be zero. You cannot do this. You cannot have random chance, a random lightning strike, just, you know, hooking chemicals magically together in exactly the right order, in exactly the right way, at exactly the right time, in exactly the right temperature, to create the first cell. The first cellular life form doesn't happen, can't happen. We can't do it ourselves under controlled laboratory conditions. Maybe we're not smart enough. Okay, fine. Well, if we're not smart enough to do it under controlled lab conditions with the perfect quantities of chemicals and the perfect ability to replicate everything and a full record of everything we've done in notebooks and computers uh, and digital memory, how the hell do you expect a blind world with no life, no designer, no creator, no nothing to do that without being able to go back and start over again, without being able to get more raw materials and start over again? How, it, it defies logic. And here's the really hilarious thing. This is a logical conundrum which no materialist seems to be able to solve. Blind materialists say that life sprang from nothing. Everything we see around us, all of this incredible biodiversity that we see around us is the result of uh, random mutation and evolution. Firstly, that's disproven now based on the twin fields of epigenetics and population genetics. Epigenetics uh, looks at how life forms can construct themselves. Uh, population genetics looks at the mathematical modeling of how long it would take for life forms to evolve into you know, new life forms. Both of those fields comprehensively debunk the entire idea of evolution by natural selection. And let me be very, very clear again, because I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Evolution is a fact. Microevolution specifically is a fact. You can see microevolution at work. 
You take a, uh, you take a, a wild wolf, a, a, a gigantic big ass wild wolf, and you mate it with another wolf. And you take the litter of pups that comes out of that, and uh, you select specific traits from those pups. You, you select pups with specific traits. And you breed those, and you breed those, and you breed those. You look for those, you, you continue to breed out those traits. And you continue to refine through the generations a particular breed of dog. You will eventually get a chihuahua. Right? It's going to happen. I mean, a chihuahua is in fact related to a wolf. They're completely different in terms of intelligence and capability, but you'll get that. But here's the thing, a chihuahua is still a dog. It's not a cat. It's not a rat. It's not a badger. It's not an eagle. It's not a lizard. It's a dog. It's still distantly related to a wolf. Microevolution is a fact. No one argues that. Natural selection is a fact. You can see that in the laboratory. And the, the example I've used before is uh, where you take a, a petri dish full of dangerous bacteria and you spray it with an antibiotic solution, uh, kills off like 99.99% of the bacteria, whatever is left over will eventually potentially evolve um, natural immune defenses against the agent that killed off uh, its, its predecessors. So natural selection does happen. It does. We know this. Uh, Darwin was right to observe it in finches in the Galapagos. It did happen. But macroevolution, transitions from one form to another of life, nope, doesn't happen. Can't happen. Why? Because we now know, based on, again, population genetics, that the timescales required would be impossibly long. And we know from epigenetics that the DNA that we have, all of us inside of ourselves, is merely the programming. It, it's merely the computer program that tells uh, different things to assemble in different ways, but you still need the raw materials to assemble into those new life forms. And without those raw materials, you cannot assemble a new life form. In fact, what we know coming from genetic um, research is that if you do microevolution to evolve new different types of uh, creatures from base stock, you're inevitably gonna, you are inevitably going to break existing information. That is why wild wolves are much tougher, much more intelligent, much more resistant to disease than most, not all, most modern breeds of dogs. Because they have the genetic information coded into them that makes them resistant to those things, whereas modern dog breeds have had that bred out of them. They, a lot of the information has become broken and corrupted. So, the same people who say that evolution, blind materialism, explains all of this genetic diversity, that nothing, that, that, that something came from nothing, effectively, in defiance of all logic, evidence, um, common sense, rationality, in defiance of all of that, these are the same people who say it's impossible for a, a child to be born of a virgin. Which one do you think is more likely? That a child was born of a virgin or that something came from nothing? I mean, to me, it's, it's like, it's not hard to figure that out. It really isn't. So, that is why I rejected, um, the materialistic point of view. Because scientifically, it simply wasn't supportable. And nowadays, the science is very firmly on the side of, um, uh, us Christians. Not, not everybody, but us Christians. Uh, what we believe is in line with what the science actually says. And um, 
there are some who would say that, you know, that's ridiculous. You cannot possibly explain how the universe and everything in it uh, was created in six days. That's nonsense. Well, I'm with you on that, sort of. But go look up uh, Dr. Sarah Salviander's uh, book. She goes by the name of uh, Stickwick. Uh, it's not a book, actually. It's a website. Uh, Six Day Science. In which she comes up with some very interesting explanations of how, in fact, the universe and everything in it could have been created in six ages, not days exactly. Days is kind of a mistranslation of the Hebrew. Uh, not entirely, but it, it, it doesn't mean the same thing. And Genesis, as it happens, is actually incredibly accurate. And this was another thing that, that spurred me on my road to conversion. Um, the more you look at the Bible, the more you realize how accurate it is. There's a very, very, very good documentary called Patterns of Evidence, colon, Exodus, which I watched several years ago on Netflix. It's not there anymore, unfortunately. But you can go download it. I mean, you just sail the high seas and go download it, shall we say. And if you do that, make sure you get a VPN. If you do that, make sure you get Surfshark. Again, uh, links are in the description. And um, the idea behind that was that we are looking in the wrong place for evidence of Exodus. Uh, in the Bible, that actually this this whole idea of Ramesses in the the, the book of Exodus is a, a later insertion by somebody, and that the Pharaoh described in the book of Exodus actually lived at, towards the end of the Middle Kingdom period of Egypt, not the not the New Kingdom period, which is when the historical Ramesses lived. And once you redact things back to the Middle Kingdom, well, not redact, but once you move back to the Middle Kingdom and start looking at history. It, from that point forward, you realize that the Exodus story actually makes a very great deal of sense. It works. It is true. And that, that documentary goes into great detail about how it happened. It's absolutely fascinating stuff. It's well worth watching. Uh, another book, uh, two more books that I highly recommend in sorting out all this mental mess about is Christianity true or not are Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. We're very, very good. And I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Drs. Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. Now, these two are best read together. The reason being that, that uh, Mere Christianity obviously came first and I Don't Have Enough Faith came second. Mere Christianity has a number of theological problems with it, particularly as you go toward the later end of the book, uh, which the second book gets away from by looking at the evidence and the logic rather than personal theology. Uh, C.S. Lewis's theology was misguided somewhat, uh, is all I'm going to say. I, I'm not, I'm, I don't go so far as to condemn him for it. I just think that he, his, his grounding was not as good as it could have been. And that is my advice to any atheist or reconsidering atheist, I should say, who is looking at the evidence and, and is saying to himself, you know what, the world around me does not match what atheists are telling me. And I, don't, I, I no longer have the faith necessary to blindly reject probability, statistics, uh, logic, because the universe around me is designed. It did have a beginning. It, did, it does appear to have the hallmarks of a designer. Uh, we do have some deep need for a spiritual connection. We have a desire to have faith. We have souls. We have spirits. And that's becoming more and more evident to me. Well, 
These are the ways you deal with those issues. Read these books and they will help you greatly. The Irrational Atheist by Vox Day. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, also a great book, uh, which I've read. Um, if you want a an understanding of how Christianity guides and shapes uh, warfare, spiritual and, and physical warfare, Reagan's War by Peter Schweitzer. Phenomenal book. I've read it twice. Absolutely amazing book. Uh, if you want to read about Islam, I mean, I could give you a list of books as long as my arm to read. But, you know, if you're looking to understand Christianity, these are the books I would recommend. Uh, obviously, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Uh, is, is superb. There are a number of others, a number of great apologetic texts out there, but these are the ones I would begin with, simply because they just lay out the arguments so beautifully. And the the thing to understand is when you take that final step, and it is incredibly hard to take, you have to bear in mind that only you can take it. No one can do it for you. That last step is by far the hardest. It's easy to be part of the game without actually playing. When you were like I was in 2018, you're a spectator, you're not a player. You are standing there, you're defending Christians, you're defending Christianity, but you're like, yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I, I find this idea of accepting a guy who came down from heaven and took on human form and died for my sins, yeah, that's, that's, I, I can't deal with that, that's too much. Well, you're missing the point in that case. You're not capable of really appreciating the lessons of Jesus Christ. Only you can make that last step. And it's terrifying. It's absolutely, absolutely mind-bogglingly scary. Because you have to accept that a man who was God came down to earth died for you, and rose again from the dead. If he was just a man, leave out those three words, who was God. If he was just a man, there are only two possibilities. Either he was batshit insane, or he was the biggest liar the world has ever seen. If he was just a man. Now put those three words back in. Who was God? Who is God, actually, to be correct. Who is God? Now, it makes sense. There are only three possibilities when it comes to Jesus Christ. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. That's another great book that you can read, actually. It goes by that exact title, Liar, Lunatic, or Lord. Um, Those are the only possibilities with Jesus. And the closer you examine his life, the more you look into the historical Jesus Christ, the more you will realize that he was, is, Lord. And that's all you need to know. The final thought that I have about Christianity is that this is a thinking religion. It's not one of blind faith. It's not one where you just recite some words, you mumble some prayers, and you are saved. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to build a very personal relationship with your God, with the God, our Creator. It's very hard work. You have to learn to think for yourself. You have to take the scriptures that you are given and interpret them for yourself with help from, you know, pastors and friends and churches. Uh, I personally would stay away from most churches because I consider them to be agents of evil and corruption at this point. Uh, definitely stay away from the Anglicans. Definitely stay away from the Presbyterians. Well, 
Presbyterians? Maybe not. I don't, okay, I, I don't know enough about the Presbyterians, so I'll take that back. Definitely stay away from the Anglicans, for sure. Definitely stay away from... I got the, I got the denomination wrong. It wasn't the Presbyterians. It was the Episcopalians. Stay away from the Episcopalians. Stay away from most of the Methodists. Stay away from most of the Baptist congregations. Stay away from the Catholics, or the Catholic Church as it is today. Don't reject... To be clear, I'm not saying reject Christianity because of these things, but Christianity as taught by these denominations is a twisted and corrupted version of what Christianity really is. What they teach is churchianity. It's the gospel of nice. It's the gospel of bullshit. It's the gospel of lies. And that must be avoided at all costs. True Christianity is hard as nails. It's a very tough religion. It's a very, very difficult demanding, painful religion. It's an exercise almost in futility sometimes. You're banging your head against a wall. You're begging God for answers, and he won't give them to you. He won't give you an easy way out. He constantly demands that you make yourself better in order to understand what he's telling you. He's requiring you to pull yourself up and grow up and become an adult. That's what he's requiring of you. That's what Christianity demands. That's what makes it so hard and so scary. That's why taking that last step is so terrifying. Because on the one hand, it's like complete surrender. It's like, I give up, you win. I can't deal with this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Uh, a couple more uh, examples of, of good books or movies to watch. Uh, a Case for Faith by Lee Strobel and A Case for Christ, also by Lee Strobel. Uh, they'll be in the description box. At the same time as that total surrender is an acceptance of personal responsibility. Putting on the new self. Putting on the whole armor of God. Accepting that you are now a son of God and therefore heir to his kingdom. It's worth thinking about. So, I've gone on way too long already. Um, I don't want this to turn into a regular podcast, but I, I could I could rabbit on about this for hours. So, uh, Sean, I hope that helps. Um, I know this has gone on for quite some time, and I know I can get pretty passionate about uh, talking about these subjects. Uh, so if I shattered your ears, uh, if I, if I shattered to the point where your eardrums are bleeding, um, sorry but not sorry, uh, <laughs> is all I can say. Uh, anyway, thank you very much to Sean for his question. I'm delighted to answer it. Um, thank you all to my subscribers, my readers, everyone else who comes over and stops by and says hello uh, and comments, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the site. I have all the links down below in the description box. And I will see you for the next uh, uh, Didactic Mind podcast. I'll have pod, uh, posts up for the next few days. It's going to be pretty busy, but we're coming up on Easter, which is fan-bloody-tastic. Uh, and it's going to be a good couple of weeks. So, Thank you all. Uh, this has been Domain Query, Truth and Reconciliation. And yes, I did name this podcast after Halo level. Uh, don't judge me. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Halo addict. In fact, I'm going to spend this weekend, now that the term is about done, I'm going to spend the whole of this weekend just playing Halo. That's all I'm going to do. Uh, so anyway, this is Didact, signing off.